love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Talking football for this Thursday evening. Chris Doolin in the studio with me tonight. We're also, it's a busy show, let me tell you. There's lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking to, to Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football uh, about Partick Thistle's latest financial numbers. Is the club in a healthy position? Is it attractive for anyone who wants to take it over? Uh, lots of rumours of mismanagement last season and deficits. Uh, we'll also talk and we'll update a, a story that we were talking about last week. Uh, Dave King, cold shouldered. Uh, by the takeover panel uh, any financial ramifications for Rangers, how much has their finances improved since Gerard and the European runs we'll talk, talk to Tony Haggerty from the Daily Record about where we are in the season thus far and what it's going to be like kicking off again after the international break Simon Edwards is a Colombian football expert and he's going to talk to us about Alfredo Morelos, he'll tell us how he's viewed in Colombia how Rangers are viewed and uh, his performances for Rangers and why some Colombian critics were blaming him for bad results uh, over the last uh, international break. Tony McAnally, assistant manager at Itar Hogdals, uh, talking to us as well. They, Tony's been in with us a few times. Uh, he's talking about uh, their position in the Swedish league. They actually uh, beat the top side 1-0 on Sunday to secure their playoff position. And Tommy Sloan, the Auchinleck manager, is going to be talking ahead of that game in the Scottish Cup against Cove Rangers. So it's a busy show. I uh, hope you've got your, uh, your your wind and your breath and everything ready to go, Mr. Doolan. Ready to go. Uh, let's talk about your club, actually, or your old club, the one that you were there at for so long, Partick Thistle. Uh, Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football, uh, always uh, good value for money when he's on the show. Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm grand, Bill. How are you? Nothing contentious for you, mate, this week, so you need not worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll put my Kevlar jacket back in the uh, back in the back in the room. I actually say that every time you come on, and by the time you go, there's a stream of things coming on on uh, on Twitter. <laughs> so we'll we'll take our chances with this. Uh, Dules is actually he was with Partick for so many seasons, years, ten and a half. Ten and a half. So it's a club he knows extremely well. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's been in turmoil recently, but there's been a. A degree of uncertainty about Partick Thistle, uh, with one regime being removed, a new one coming in, and a couple of uh, bids potentially for the club, one of which I think I'm right in saying would be considered a preferred bid, but it doesn't seem to be advancing particularly quickly. Um, And I'm just wondering how these figures are going to look to someone who who might look at Thistle and take them over. Uh, Kieran, Um, I I think for their... uh, their as a Premiership team, um, I think the figures would look good. Um, in the Championship, it is going to be more of a struggle. Uh, last year, they they would have made just over one point one million pounds in in prize money from the SPFL. That'll drop by at least a half a million pounds in the uh, in the Championship. Um, and and if the worst does happen and they drop to, to League One, then then it, it deteriorates even further. Um, what the club was good at doing last year was it, it managed to get the wage bill down a wee bit, um, and I think it, it, it was protecting itself from, uh, from the challenges of being in the championship. 
Dules, obviously you would know about getting the wage bill down because you kind of fell victim to it, to be honest with you, mate. But the bottom line with this for the Jags is that they may have got the wage bill down, but they came perilously close to being a League One team at one point. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's unheard of if, if the club was to fall into, into League One. Um, I think everybody was aware of just exactly the, the impact that would have. Um, the, the people who were there already who had been in the Premiership could see the impact it took on the club coming into Championship, you know, and for them to fall into League One would have been horrific for the club. And the club did say, I'll come back to you in just a wee minute, Kieran, to, to, to talk about this, but the club did say when they were relegated to the Championship, they would maintain a Premiership budget. That didn't seem to be the case to the average onlooker. Yeah, and I, I don't think it would have been, you know, it's, it depends how you, you define a competitive budget, I mean, and I don't know about budgets at the club, but um, you know, it, it wasn't kept the same as it would have been in the Premiership, which you know, likes of Ross County, for instance, come down, bounce back up, and uh, I think they made it clear that they were keeping the same budget. And you see, it just they, they almost run away with the league, I suppose. Um, but it was a lot more difficult for for Thistle um, in the Championship, so. Um, again, it's it's something I can apply on words. Kieran, one of the things that we talk about with any club is is managing expectations for fans, and uh, you know, I'm just wondering if you're actually doing fans a favour by telling them that you're going to maintain a Premiership budget and then you let a string of players go, some of whom are very high profile, where it obviously reflects that that budget isn't sustainable. Uh, For a a club like Partick Thistle, it wasn't really possible, was it, for them to be able to maintain a Premiership budget going into the Championship? No, because of the uh, reduction in revenue, um, the only way that that could have been achieved would have been if the the club owners have said, um, we, we are prepared to allow the club to make losses and we will underwrite those losses. Um, clearly, that wasn't the case. I mean, the club did manage to break even in the championship, which, which is an achievement. And I think, uh, I think that's a testament to nearly all of the clubs in Scotland in, in that they, they do try to run themselves on a legacy basis that they, they want to be there in, in five years and ten years for, for the next generation. But that does mean that you have to cut your cloth accordingly. Um, not only is there less prize money, clearly the the, the, the nature of the opposition and the number of um, fans that, that will come from uh, opponents is going to be significantly impacted too. The the only thing that you you run the risk of is what nearly happened to Thistle uh, last season, Kieran, and that is they they did cut their cloth accordingly, or they thought they had, but it took them, as I said to to Chris, and and he was there, he knows, it took them perilously close to League One. Yeah, well, if if, uh, the wage bill was cut by a third, Um, so yeah, that's pretty significant. It went down from... 2.8 2.8 million to less than 2 million. So that, that's, uh, that, that's pretty significant um, in terms of not only are you going to be letting some of your better players go, but also the, the recruitments that come in are going to be impacted. And, and it affects um, player numbers. So um, Partick went, or Thistle, went down from 35 to 24 players and development squad. And and that means that if you have got injuries and suspensions, there's less choice for the manager. All of that contributes 
to um, making it more of a struggle. Um, and you're up against players who, who perhaps are a little bit more battle-hardened of playing in the championship as well. Dills, let me ask you about uh, you know what you saw internally at Thistle. I mean, what was what was the general consensus amongst the players, bearing in mind? I mean, what were the telltale signs that change financially was afoot and that it could be quite swinging? I think everybody was well aware when we came out of the Premiership that you know relegation spreads through a club. That, that that's pretty obvious that there's going to be big changes at the club. Um, I think. Uh, on the playing side of things, you know, we did notice that the, the squad gets gets smaller. You know, younger players now get a better chance of, of probably coming through um, and playing. Um, and you see, they, they sold Aidan Fitzpatrick, you know, down to Norwich um, for £350,000 with big add-ons. Um, Aidan might not have got much of a chance previously, um, if I suppose if they weren't forced into the Championship. But um, I, know, I think for the, the playing side of things, I mean, I took a pay cut. Chris Erskine took, we took big pay cuts um, when we came down because we wanted to stay at the club. Um, we, had, we, we could have left. Um, but, you know, Alan Archibald took a big pay cut as well. Um, so we could see... If it, <laughs> nah, just, sorry, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but you've named three people who took big pay cuts and then left the club. Yeah, and then that's... So we, we were well aware of the financial um, implications because we, we had to take pay cuts. Otherwise, the, the club, it just couldn't sustain... You know the, the money it was paying out, so we were willing to take those cuts, um, and I think you know there was a few others who who had to take pay cuts as well, um, and, and for that side of things, I think that was making it very obvious to players that you know no longer could we we pay the type of money we were in, in the Premiership. Kieran, when you look at clubs like Thistle, and and another good example of a club like Thistle is Falkirk, who have gone down into League One. Um, it is a very thin line that you tread between being competitive and getting back to the place that will actually make you financially secure and teetering on the brink of actually getting into a, a deeper financial mire. You know, you can only cut so far, one would assume. Yes, I, I think that's, that's a fair comment. Uh, I mean, this will clearly cut both uh, individual uh, staff members' wages as well as the numbers. Now, it, it, it does give the opportunity for, for, for academy players to come through, um, but that's a double-edged sword because you, you're playing senior football, and if if those young men don't make uh, don't don't really effectively make the grade in in terms of being able to compete, then you are going to struggle in that particular division, um, and, and the differences between the divisions are are significant. If uh, this all finished eleventh in the Premiership, so. Um, I think the year that they went down, and, and that brings you £1.2 million. If you finish ninth in the championship, it, it, it's 187. So there's a huge difference. They, they did receive parachute payments last year as well to help soften the blow, but they will disappear um, in 1999, in 2019-20. In, in that case, when you look at the figures that have come out, which look reasonably healthy on the face of it, uh, what do you expect to see 12 months on? Well, a lot will depend on where they finish uh, this season. Um, I, I think the club will probably have to make uh, further pay cuts to uh, take into consideration that the parachute payments are going to expire. Uh, if, if you finish in the, in, the, in the top positions in the championship, then um, you can expect to make about half a million in prize money. If not, 
then, then I think uh, the, the club will once again have to uh, reduce its wage bill. Chris, this, this potentially is extremely bad news for Partick Thistle if they, they stay in the Championship for any great length of time and are not as competitive as they might be. Uh, and Kieran's just said that obviously success gives you the opportunity to kind of start rebuilding financially and your squad and things like that. But if you don't get that success, then it just continues to be cut after cut after cut. And for a club like Thistle, who have enjoyed a period of time and a fairly successful period of time in the Premiership, that surely is a hammer blow to them. Yeah, it's massive. You know, I think that the longer you, you're in the Championship, the, the tougher it becomes to get out, simply because you know the club will be losing money year upon year um, for, for different reasons. So... But then, as you say, it's a double-edged sword. You, you can't get out of the league because you can't afford to bring the players in to get you out of the league, and therefore you're, you're in the championship for another or, or League One for other clubs. Um, you're there for another year, so it becomes even more difficult. So, um, you know, likes of Ross County coming down and going straight back up ha- doesn't really happen very often, um, and there's a reason for that because you know the, the championship's a notorious league mm. um, and a very difficult league. Um, but you know it's. It just shows that, you know, the longer you're in that league, um, you can't afford to just keep cutting and cutting and cutting because it then becomes almost impossible to to get out the uh, the division. So you need people at the top who are maybe willing to put their hand in their pockets or, or are capable um, of doing that. Um, to make sure that the club can actually go somewhere. Kieran, that's a really good point that Chris makes, and he makes a good comparison with Ross County. They have one of the most dedicated chairmen probably in Scottish football. Uh, Roy McGregor has funded that club almost single-handedly and done it in a way where it's been run as a very, very good business. Um, And I'm just wondering if there is... I don't like using the word one-man band, and I don't think Roy McGregor would look at Ross County as being a one-man band, but he would acknowledge his contribution. I'm just wondering sometimes if it's easier to have one person with their their hands on the purse strings than it is with a board that's answerable uh, to a number of different people. I I think that is the case. That the, The best form of any control of a football club is if you have a benevolent dictator. Um, because decisions can be made quicker. Um, decisions can be made in the best long-term interests of the club by that individual, especially if he's committed or he or she's committed to to the club on a long-term basis. Um, and you, you, there's, there's less time spent in fighting and waiting for somebody else to put their hand in their pocket first. So um, that's without doubt the, the most... Uh, most efficient form of club club control, um, and, and that's what's proven to be the case uh, south of the border as well. Um, whilst there are some clubs which are fan-owned, what we are seeing is that they tend to fall out with each other, and then if there is a shock, such as relegation, or um, something happens to one of the stands and it needs replacing, or you have big big repairs, or or you lose a you, you lose a big player due to, to a long-term injury. Um, those people don't have the money on an individual basis 
to, uh, to to support the club financially. Now, in Scotland, fan ownership is becoming more and more popular, and there's a bigger drive for it now. Uh, and we speak to Paul Goodwin from the Scottish Football Supporters Association, and Paul is very active in, in, in helping fans, you know, take control of clubs, and, and and you know, it makes a very strong case for it. I kind of think from what you've said, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, and you you can obviously uh, refute this at any point here, but I kind of get the impression that you think fan ownership works but only to a certain level of ambition. I, th- I think there's a natural ceiling for fan ownership. If you, for example, look at, uh, at Portsmouth here um, in England, they, they had a lot of trouble with rogue owners and, and, and it needed the fans to step in finally to take control. But they then realised uh, after two or three years, if we want to be able to compete in the top two divisions, in, in the English league, we, we've gone as far as we can, and, and they've now sold out to a guy called Michael Eisner, who used to be the head of Disney. Yeah, I know. Um, my, I, I actually have met Michael Eisner. I know him. He's a very strong character, uh, very, very definite in the way that he runs businesses, um, but is probably a good example of what you would call, uh, in my view, a benevolent dictator. Yes, and you know, he, he certainly. Um, I, I speak to fan groups quite regularly, uh, and he's to date he's, he's won over the fans. Uh, fans are fickle. Um, you, know, you, you lose four matches, or you get relegated, and and their opinion can change. But but to date, I think he's uh, you know, as you would expect from somebody with his uh, incredible business achievements and experience. Um, he's he's presented himself very well. He's he's uh, engaged with the fans in terms of decision making. This is what I propose to do. Um, this is how I propose to fund it, um, and this is what I believe the benefits to be. And he's asked the you know he's asked the fans' views, but ultimately he says it's my final decision. Um, and you know the fan base has has bought into that. So I think having fan representation on on a board is excellent because it does improve engagement. Um, whether the fans have sufficient funds on an individual basis to allow the club to go to the next level, whatever the next level it may be. Uh, I mean, and the finances of Scottish football are different to those of England, um, but I think uh, there's still a step up between the championship in terms of, of wages. Um, if, if you look at Partick's wages, or sorry, Thistle's wages um, of, of £2 million and compare that to anybody else in the SPFL, uh, the next lowest is, well, from the figures that we have, the next lowest was Kilmarnock at 3.1, um, and then it starts getting bigger and bigger, and, and you're, you're into the tens of millions uh, for some of the clubs, of course. Dills, obviously, talking about benevolent dictators, it didn't turn out that way, but they did have someone who was backing the club and, and backing them from their own pocket, but then put in people to run the club on a day-to-day basis that... that you know, really had quite a sway over the way the club was run, but with no real football experience. Uh, and one of the things that comes up regularly on the show from pundits when they're in is football people making football decisions. Now, business people making business decisions is fine, but it's one of those, it's a, bit, a, little, a little bit like art and science, really. You know, they don't mix particularly well. Uh, and I guess that was one of the problems when Jackie Lowe was installed as uh, as chairperson person at Partick Thistle. Yeah, I think it was it became a problem in terms of, you know, that that connect between 
what's what's business and and what's football. Um, you know, Jerry Britton's there as well um, as a, the chief executive yeah. who can do that that connecting role. Um, but you know, I think looking at it now, uh, David Beatty's come back, who, who was previously the chairman mm-hmm. um, when we were in the, the Premiership, and all the guys who were on the board with him, and that's where you know there's a lot of strong businessmen in there. You know, I know they were saying about one person looking after a club. When David and his team came back, I mean, there's there's five or six there worth however many million pounds and willing to to help the club out because they have done previously. So um, I think from that point of view, the club then is in in good business hands. Then it's about the football inside of things. Then it's about connecting that to the business. You know, football is now becoming we spoke about before it, but becoming a business. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's about. How do you connect football to to a business? Because and it's one thing actually, David Beatty was very very good at, um, and the guys on his board. Because although they're not football people, they they, they know football. But they, at that time, they used Ian Maxwell, who's now obviously head of the SFA. Mm-hmm. And Maxi became he was a player with me, then became assistant manager, then general manager, then chief exec. So he went the full way, and he was a very very good um, connect between you know football. And the same way Jerry Britton's doing now, um, but you've got to have those those business people at the club. You know, there's there's no point having half a dozen ex-football players sitting around a, a, a table making million-pound decisions. You want you want people who understand business yeah. to deal with that and let the football people deal with the football side. Karen, how easy is it to make that connection with the business world and the football world, and can you ever make it? successfully 100% and I'll give you an example Uh, Arsenal have been starved of success by comparison to the Arsenal glory days uh, but have always been a very successful and very well run business Um, that they have been and I I think uh, they they were fortunate for many years to have Arsene Wenger who um, transformed the club in terms of the introduction of modern coaching and uh, sports science and diet and taking into consideration these things, which, which actually gave it an edge on the pitch. And that, and that allowed the club to succeed for a period of time whilst um, the, the focus at Arsenal was paying for the new stadium. Eventually, other clubs cottoned on to um, the type of techniques that Wenger had introduced. And once they caught up, that resulted in, in Arsenal not being able to compete. Um, and, and I think, as uh, you've been both been saying, you need to have some skills which are transferable from the business the business of business. So if, if, if I'm very good at, at making toasters, that's fine. It doesn't mean I can run a football club. It means I'm very good at making toasters. Mm-hmm. So if I was to take over a football club, I think it's absolutely essential to have somebody on the board of directors who has played or has been involved in the coaching side, who understands the psychology of the dressing room, understands what motivates staff members, of course, including players, who can inform the board if you make these this decision, and those are going to be the consequences. This is going to be the impact upon results. This is going to be the impact upon motivation. This is going to be the impact in terms of our ability to retain our best talent. Okay, and and if you, if you do have those links, great. If you don't, as we've seen with many clubs, they are struggling. Arsenal is an example. Manchester United, um, a perfect example of of a club which has got money to burn, 
and that's what it's doing with its money. It's just burning it <laughs> because there is there is no football representation at the top of that club. And as somebody that lives in Manchester, long may that continue. <laughs> uh, let's move back to Rangers from last week because obviously, oh lordy, uh, well no, this is, you'll be okay. All you need to do is give us some explanatory stuff. Uh, moving back to Rangers for last week, Dave King cold shouldered by uh, the, the takeover panel, the FCA. Uh, I'm just wondering. Uh, I don't like the, the the expression. I think it's it's quaint at best and ridiculous at worst. But just explain exactly again for people what being called shouldered means uh, and, and what the implications are for a business or individual and it's an individual in this occasion which is Dave King um, Well the good news from Rangers point of view is that it does not affect the running of the club on a day to day basis uh, and Rangers Football Club have not been implicated by any of this. Uh, I, I agree with you the 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 phrase is ridiculous, cold-shouldered, but what it actually means is the takeover panel has said to the, the people that, that work in the City of London, we do not want you to have any dealings with Dave King for the next four years um, because of his conduct um, during the, the takeover or the non-taker takeover of Rangers where um, the takeover panel felt that, that some of Dave's behaviour was um, lacking. And specifically, uh, they, they highlighted his association with other uh, individuals who were part, uh, they believe, of, of a concert in terms of uh, a concert party in terms of taking the club o over. Uh, and that means in real terms that people had worked as individuals but were really working uh, collectively to do something which wasn't allowed. That, that's correct. Um, 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 but under um, UK company law, if you're involved with a listed company, um, once you acquire 30% of the shares in the company, you are then legally obliged to make a bid for all of the remaining shares. This is because, although you don't have control, I mean, control you need to have more than 50%, if you've got more than 30%, the view is, because you've got lots of individual shareholders who, who don't actually get involved with the company, you've got effective control. And the view taken by the takeover panel was that, that Mr. King had, had had some involvement with some friendly parties so that effectively they were always going to vote um, in accordance with his wishes and that would give uh, Mr. King effective control of the club. He denied this. And then they said, well, hold on, there's some emails here which appear to suggest that that is not the case. Let me ask you, Dave King, when he entered into this and, you know, you, you, he has said that what he did was because of his love for the club. Um, and, and I don't think Rangers fans would doubt that in any way, shape or form. But you would have thought that he felt that it was a calculated risk and one worth taking, especially as it would be applicable to him as an individual rather than to the club. Uh, and would you agree that if, bearing in mind where Rangers were at the time and where they are now, he'll be looking back at it? And I, got, I actually put this, you may have seen it last week on Twitter because I know you read stuff that I do, I said, and I said he may consider this a win. Do you think he may have considered this a win in the long term? 
Yes, I, I don't think he, he was planning um, any other merger and acquisition activity in the UK. So therefore, there's no great loss from his point of view. Um, I think it's fair to say that he probably didn't have the resources to buy out the remaining shareholders once he reached that 30% level. So this gave him a, a bit of wiggle room. Um, this meant that the the finances of, of uh, his finances and of some of the other um, investors in respect of, of Rangers, those, those monies could be um, focused on um, the club and, and building up the infrastructure and in terms of uh, player recruitment and management recruitment, rather than having to pay off other individual shareholders. Now, it turns out later, when the takeover panel forced Dave to, um, to make a bid for the remaining shares, those other shareholders then turn around and say, well, actually, we're quite happy with things the way they are. Only 47% of people ended up in total um, wanting to have the shares. So the, the, he wouldn't, the, the irony is, is that he wouldn't have been forced to buy out all of the other shareholders anyway. Mm. But that, that was something which took place a couple of years later. So in real terms, could he, would he, <laughs> do you think he has considered a win? Yes, I, I think uh, you know, the, the only downside from his point of view is that he will have incurred substantial legal fees. Um, so, you know, and, uh, you know, l- l- lawyers, as we all know, lawyers, they, they can't get enough Range Rovers and, uh, and uh, skiing holidays. So, you know, th- th- there are some winners in this. Um, but, but Dave himself, you know, th- that will have been a cost to him. You know, and I imagine those costs would have been substantial. But in terms of progressing Rangers as a football club, I think he will see it as, um, as, as what you might refer to as a professional foul. You take somebody out, you get the yellow card, but actually your side has benefit overall because the, the, the alternative was the opposition going through to score. Take one for the team. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Just before I let you go, uh, looking still at Rangers because, of course, for two seasons in a row, uh, they're the only British club who have qualified through all four qualifying rounds for the Europa League. They're back in the uh, the group stages again. Um, one would assume that they're due for another windfall uh, as they were last season. And, and in real terms, as the season progresses, if Rangers can stay in, in the Europa League, but even if they don't go past the group stages... Uh, how much of a, a boom has this been for them in terms of doing this two seasons in the trot? Um, I, I think they, they will have budgeted to... Um, I, I would imagine they, they will have budgeted to get through to the, the group stage. Um, that potentially is going to be worth anywhere from, um, say, six or seven million um, up to you know, 30 million should they progress. Um, into the the knockout stages and, and uh, in, into the into the final areas. So, um, yes, I, I think it is good news. I think Stephen Gerrard will be delighted um, because uh, it, it's going to impact upon his budget for the January window and for the window um, of 2020. And, and any manager is always looking to improve the quality of the squad. All right, mate. Listen, always good to talk to you. Thank you for that again. Uh, Coming on, talking to us about the Jags and also about Rangers. Uh, Always good to talk to you, Kieran. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your evening. 
you very much, Bill. All the best to you and the guys. No problem. Kieran Maguire there from The Price of Football. Always great to talk to him. Knows his stuff. Uh, gives you a good insight into things, Chris. And, and I think it's important sometimes that we look past what happens on the park uh, to see how things get to the park and how stuff that happens off the park, especially finance, because finance now drives football in every way, shape and form. It does. And, you know, one of the things that, that struck me that, that Kieran mentioned was that it was the conduct of Dave King. That, that, that these can, this consortium or takeover, not the financial. You know, Rangers are probably sitting in a, in a good financial position mm. now compared to what they were a number of years ago. To be fair, Dave King did make a very good point, and it is a very good point, that the stewardship of Rangers was never put in question since he's taken over. Yeah. It's how he took the club over so, that was called into question. So that seems, you know, they, these consortiums now, they're not just looking at you know, what's financially viable, they're looking at the way things are being run. Yeah. And, and like I say, these board of directors that come back, or you know, they, they want the club run the proper way, the yeah. way business you should be. Mm. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll speak to uh, Daily Record journalist Tony Haggerty on the programme uh, as we come back from an international break. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett may be able to help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork. Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text good to double six treble seven. Text good to double six treble seven now. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So tick one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Motorpoint, we've put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from junction three of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. Love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, it's been an international break. I hate them because it doesn't give us a lot to talk about. But uh, with the new 
season, well, I said new season, continuing this weekend. It's it's kind of early stages in the new season, but it feels as if it's starting all over again. Uh, I want to talk to Tony Haggerty from the Daily Record uh, and get his views on where we are and where we're going to. Tony, thanks for being on with us, first of all. But let me ask you before we get to the weekend's action, uh, your thoughts on the international break, where we are, how we've got there and whether we're going to go any further. I think uh, we have to just accept where we are, and that's the fact that we're not very good. <laughs> we're above above San Marino, and uh, you know they're they're hopeless. So you, you can only beat what's in front of you. But in terms of the campaign, it was a bit of a wreck and a write-off. We now have to prepare for the playoffs, you know, and we have to uh, give our all for that. And Steve Clark has to come up with a system and a shape that can get us through that. Because to miss out on that after coming uh, tantalisingly close would be a major, major disappointment, especially when part of it's been held in your, your own uh, backyard. You know, we have to pour everything into that now, use the rest of the games as experiments, you know, just to get a tried and tested formation that will get us through the playoffs. Let me bring Chris Doolin in. Doolin, so one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is that for season after season after season in recent times, we've made not the excuse, but we've highlighted that we haven't had enough players playing at the highest level south of the border. Uh, And we seem to have more than ever uh, playing south of the border, if not all for fashionable teams. But we still don't seem to be making any real progress, yet they're playing in one of the best leagues in the world week in, week out against good players. Where's the problem? What, What do you see as our biggest problem? I know. I mean, there's there's five, six players out yeah. of that squad who play in the, in the English Premiership week in, week out, and doing very well. It's not as if they're, you know, bit part players or they're, they're sitting in the stands. These boys, McGinn, and they're out there, you know, being the, the main men, some of them for their clubs. I think it, it's difficult then when, you know, that they're playing with players on a, on a daily basis. They build all these relationships with players, and then you're whipped away, and you've got two or three days to, to you know, get to know the guy next to you. Um, and all of a sudden you're, you're thrown out there in front at Hamden or wherever it is, big stadiums, and you're expected to know how everybody plays. And I'm sure that that's a problem for every international manager. But you know, it, it's, why do we deal with it worse than others? Then I've no idea. It would appear. It, it would certainly appear that we do seem to deal with it worse. Um, but you know, it's not as if we don't have good players. We do have good players, but it's difficult then to try and find a shape, a formation, putting the certain players in. I mean, we've tried everything. I'm pretty sure we've tried every shape. We've tried leaving out certain players, big players, and bringing in other players. Now, you know, where, where do we turn next? Um, one thing's for sure, from my point of view, is that Steve Clark's the right man to do it. You know, I think yeah. you just look at his record, um, and, you know, he, he's proven that he's got a great track record, and what he done at Kilmarnock and the, and the club football side is, is amazing. And now I think, you know, we've all got to get behind him because you've got to trust in, in what he's doing. Well, we can't keep going down a road, standing in the middle of it and then getting run over by a bus. We've got to get to the end of the road, and I agree with you. Steve Clark has got to be given the time and the opportunity to make something happen. Uh, Tony, the other thing I was going to say here, I want your view on this, uh, and that is the fact that, you know, is our our expectation level too high? Do we we want things to happen too quickly? Do we put too much pressure on on players? Uh, And I'm talking about us in the media as well as the fans. Well, I think as Chris touched upon there, you've got guys in the six that you named name checked playing at the highest, highest level. So they should be able to produce. And I'm not saying that they're not, but the one thing Clark does need is time. 
you know, he's, he's, he's really, he's fairly new into the job, you know, but it, it's a commodity that we we just don't seem to, to have at the moment because we're desperate to get to our tournament and we're desperate to get to this one because, as I say, some of the games have been held at Hamden and in your own country. But, mm. you know, I, I think as well that, that you know, there's that, that feeling that we, we just want to, you know, we just have to qualify for this one because if we don't, we, we might be, you know, for years and years in the wilderness because you're sliding further down the rankings and further down the pots. You know, but I think Clark has to be given time, and, and I agree with Chris. It's, it's very, very difficult when you're only getting guys for three or four days, you know, and, and to try and, and produce a system and a formation that will that will break down, you know, a formidable, formidable opposition like Russia and Belgium, you know, who've had a, a tremendous track record in, in tournaments in the past in the past few years, you know. So, so that's hard. So that's going to take time to gel that and, and, and get us, you know, to comfortable where we want to be you know but what what I will say is Greece won Euro 2004 playing the worst football ever you know but they played to their strengths they were hard to beat and clinical when a chance came along see if that, I'm not saying we go down that route but we have to start making inroads and start claiming scalps you know because it, it's, it's, it's demoralising supporting Scotland you know, do you know, both, do you know one both thing in the media and as a supporter I mean, and you have that expectation because, you know, we've produced great players in the past, you know. One thing but, I was going to say there, uh, Tony, we've was... We've still got some great players playing in Premiership, you know. See, Sorry, what's that? See, one thing I was going to say to you there was, you know, going back to uh, the manager, one thing he, he seems to have is a really level head. You know, while the country's yeah. in... in and uprising, going off it's desperate, <laughs> absolutely desperate and falling <laughs> over ourselves, he seems to yeah. be level-headed, calm. So, uh, to me, you know, looking at it, I, I'm thinking... I would I would trust a guy like that who in a, in all this you know chaos and animosity can keep his head. Mm. I think that's a guy who's so would I. Who's very very uh, you know well thought out and knows what, knows what his plan is. Um, it's just about him trying to get that plan onto the pitch. Guys, I'll tell you another thing because again. See also, see if we to also write off these playoffs right and we we don't get results, but we build it for the next tournament and he brings in. He, he brings in a, a tried and tested team that he, he has in his mind. I'll accept that as long as you can see progress, yeah? Yep. You know, I expect us to beat San Marino, but do I expect us to beat many many more teams out with that? I'm not so sure. Yeah, but I think that was part I of the problem. I think that Clark is the right man, you know, yep. and, and he needs time. And, you know, you, we, we're going into the playoffs, you know, and you think to yourself, well, it's 50 50, isn't it? Here's one to think you know. about as well, just very quickly. I had Peter Grant on a, a couple of weeks ago two or three weeks ago, mm -hmm. and Peter was telling me that they can't even get down to working with a lot of the players because they come with prerequisites from their clubs about cool-down days and things like that, uh, and they could lose <laughs> as many as two days to, before they can actually use them to start training and things yeah. like that. Yeah, we yeah. spoke about that before, I mean, that's about that's sports true. science. <laughs> sports science is taking <laughs> over now, and you know, clubs seem to have a bigger input on, on their players than, than the, the national manager, and I'm sure... Every national manager probably has to deal with that. But, you know, the, the more and more it becomes difficult for, for our national manager, the, the more damaging it is to the, mm. the country. So, you know, maybe clubs have to let up a wee bit um, in terms of, of their players. <laughs> is that going to happen, Tony? Any manager, any talk, they talk about when, you know, the big thing, the big buzzwords is, is now with any manager with any top-level player is rest and recuperation. It's not actually training or playing games. We're always talking about rest and recuperation. No, they are. It's, it's, all, it's they all because are. they're assets. You know, and, and, and how, as you say, that it takes two days. 
to recover from such and such. You know, because they're playing so many games a season. But excuse me, isn't that their job? To be fat, you know, and play X amount of games or as many games as, as the, the, their success allows when they go to various uh, latter stages of competitions. You know, I, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Well, let, let me get the, the view of a, a, of a professional footballer because he's sitting here smiling as you're saying that. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you sometimes. I, I would be falling over myself to play for your country and it wouldn't matter. You could take yeah. me out in a, twice a day and play two games a day. <laughs> I, I would go and play. And I think it's, it's got to maybe get back to that kind of passion that, you know, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure players definitely, they want to get out there and play for their country. It's just that maybe clubs... I- are, are, they're, they're such big um, assets. I, you know, now. and I'm not having a go at players. I think they, they are desperate to play for their country and be successful. It's just protocols now, you know, and yep. all these plans that are put in place to to protect the players. But sometimes the players, the players have got a voice. And say, Wait a minute, I actually feel okay. You know, a lot of it is, you know, Chris will maybe tell me this. You know, you tell a player he's tired, you feel tired. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I know, I know what you mean. Get there and run for me. They'll go out there and run. If that know? was the case, somebody needs to tell somebody they're Maradona. <laughs> that's the old joke, isn't that? Right. Tell him he's telling. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's fair enough. But, you know, there's, there's a kind of, I think there's a, a, been a sea change towards, you know, players, you know, doing, not doing as little as possible, but, you know, taking it, Taking it, pushing the len- the envelope, as they say. Yeah. You know, if they can get away with it, you know. Tony, you let know, me. It's crazy. You, you want to play football, you know. Let's look at let's look at the the restart. We're back from the international break, and I'll, yep. I'll get both your views on this. Um, the break come at a good time or a bad time for Rangers and Celtic. I think it came at probably a bad time for Rangers, maybe a good time for Celtic. You know. Um, in terms of Rangers, are kind of built up. Since, since they lost to Celtic at Ibrox, Rangers have built up a tremendous head of steam. You know, they're playing very well. They're, they're, they're looking classy and, and they're scoring goals. You know, Celtic did the hard bit at Ibrox and then have sort of kind of slipped, slipped to Livingston, slipped to Hibs, you know. They, they're never comfortable on a plastic pitch, you know. But And then we're uh, down to uh, 10 men as well. You know, that, that kind of hindered their chances of of actually winning that game. But against Hibs, they'll feel that was an opportunity that they, they slipped by, you know, and, and, and dropped a, a couple of crucial points that day. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Rangers are certainly firing on all cylinders and I don't think they would have welcomed the break as much as Celtic with the drop points and a chance to regroup. Chris will tell you there's nothing worse than kicking your heels in an international break when you've, when you've lost points, you know, and the immediate thing you want to do is go out and make amends. Yeah, that's exactly like what, that's what I would think. You know, when you've got an extra week, two weeks almost to to sit and think about mistakes that were made, um, maybe chances that were missed. Um, I think it can be a long, mm. a long international break. Yeah. And on the other side of that, you know, for Rangers, they were probably want to play the very next day. Yeah. They're absolutely flying high, yep. so they they will probably have their tails up, and um, would be desperate to get back out there. Um, but you know, it, it's about teams using the international break to their own advantage. You know it. Yeah. Managers will recognise that maybe my team needed this break for whatever reason, injuries, poor form, whatever. So it will be a, a chance for them to get out in the pit, out in the training ground, and, and maybe put things right. And then they, they come back and they're flying again. It can also maybe stutter for other teams. You know, Rangers, although they're flying, that that can sometimes disrupt your momentum. I, I don't think yeah. it will. I think Rangers are, are looking very strong, but you know, it, the international breaks definitely can cause 
um, a bit of disruption for, for teams. The positive, I guess, for Rangers, although they would have wanted to get back on with the business very, very quickly, is if they've got a couple of key players who have been injured, that it's given them that wee bit extra time to get yeah. them fit to come back again, Tony. Of course, that's always a, a good thing with the international break. You get a chance to get players, uh, you know, recovered and fit, you know, and, and and if you can add them to your squad moving forward, but if you're on, you know, if your trajectory rise, then it's all it's always a good thing, you know. I, I think with Rangers, as you know, they 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 wouldn't have welcomed the international break at this moment in time because they've worked so hard to get to the summit, you know, and now it's a different kind of pressure now. They they want to stay there. So and that's when they'll rely on your Steve Davis, your Alan McGregor's, you know the Jermaine Defoe's experienced guys who have been through the course, you know, a course and distance, and they can now impart that information and what it takes to play. Because every game now is a high pressure game for Rangers, you know, and even the likes of Hearts who are not playing particularly well at the minute. But Sunday's just one of those games where you're going to a bear pit, an atmosphere that's traditionally tough at times. So, Crystal so, uh, certainly vouch for that, you know, and it's it's no easy, you know, and so that brings its own pressure now. You you're now at the front. Can you lead from the front? Having worked so hard to be to to, to get there, you know, that the hunter is now the hunted, so that's a different kind of pressure altogether. Yeah. yeah. You know? Let's let's look at the the capital teams as well, Hibs and Hearts. I and mean, you've been talking about obviously Rangers going to Tynecastle uh, on Sunday, uh, and ordinarily it is a very difficult place to go. It's not been quite so difficult this season, uh, Chris and Craig Levine and Paul Heckenbottom both under pressure. Hibs on their way to New Douglas Park at the weekend. Rangers on their way to Tynecastle. Both of these fixtures could in some way maybe influence the future of, of both these managers, presumably. Yeah, and it seems to be that we've been talking about, you know, Heckenbottom and Levine almost weekly. Constantly. It, it, that's how it feels, you know, and sometimes you feel sorry for them because <laughs> it's almost as if you're two games away from a crisis. It, it, you could be the Celtic manager. If you lose two games, you're, you're in massive trouble and, and everybody's wanting you out. So in the same for Rangers. So, you know, to, to look down the league and see Hibs and Hearts really struggle, two other massive clubs... Um, it just feels as if you know they're always under pressure, um, and you know I'm looking at it. Hamilton won't be an easy game. No, on the plastic pitch again. It's not going to be an easy game. Um, nah. Chippers has got a, a good team there, and, it, and he's a very very good coach with them. Um, so I mean that'll be a tricky one. And then you know Hearts obviously struggling um, at home as well. Rangers flying. Um, I, I don't see it an easy afternoon for them. Tony, how much pressure are both these managers under in your view? You know what? I, I think they're under immense pressure. But I, what, what I'll say in Craig Levine's defence is that I don't think there's any manager that's had to contend with a, a horrific injury list as much as Craig Levine in the past 18 months. And I'm not just talking about uh, peripheral players. You're talking about key key figures in that Hearts team. Now, supporters are not interested in that. They just want results. But if you're Craig Levine, you must think, what, what have I done? What have I done to deserve this? You know, it's you know, you're talking Peter Haring, John Suter. Uh, Stevie Naismith, you know, Jamie Walker, you know, going back to Christoph Berra as well. You know, Berra, yeah, you know, you know, stalwarts, guys that you can rely on, you know, big uh, Piazzo up front. You know, they've all had lengthy spells out, not just a couple of weeks. You're talking lengthy spells, you know, months and months in the sidelines with, with a lot of them, you know, and that would disrupt any team. So he's got extenuating circumstances. You know, and when he when he got those players back, you know they 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 could play because they got to the Scottish Cup final and and came within a 
you know, an ace of, you know, defeating Celtic in the final, just ran out of steam eventually, you know. And, uh, you think to yourself, well, if he could get them all back at some period this season, you know, then Hearts will, will climb the table. You know, you, you fear for Hibs because you can't say with any certainty that they're going to go to Hamilton and get anything. They're no scoring and they're no defending. So normally you're doing one or the other. See, when you're not doing both, that's 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 cause for concern and problematic, you know. But I mean, Heckenbottom seems to be confident in his own ability to turn it round. But you can't continue, you know. The import, the performances have improved of late, but they're still no winning, picking up points here and there. You know, you have to win, you know. And, and Hamilton, you just every time you write Hamilton off, they just throw that, they just throw a custard pie in your face. So <laughs> you're best not saying about Hamilton. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just leave it to chance. Let's go playing well and a different style of football, you know. Let's go to the bottom of the yeah. league because it's the battle of the Saints down there, St Johnson and St Mirren. Yeah. Uh, St Mirren again, one of one of the best defences in the the Premiership, but yeah. again, can he buy a goal for loving their money? And, and uh, yeah, you know, and St Johnson really just can't get any consistency going at all. Yeah. Uh, how do you see this one? Do you know what? I think both both of them are just desperate for for any kind of win, aren't they? You know, and that 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 managers tear their hair out at that. Chris will tell you as well. With with Thistle, Thistle could be great going forward, but at the back, you know, leaking goals and it it kills you. It really does, you know. And so Murna now got one part of their, their uh, team right. They kind of get the other part right, you know. A bit like Hibs. You know, and St Johnson, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it's a season too far for Tommy. But you've got to remember, Tommy's been rebuilding their season after season after season. And they've punched above their weight so many times. You know, there comes a cut a cut-off point, but Tommy's still a wily old competitor. He'll, he'll get them out of that mire at some point, you know. But you have to see that both teams start have to start picking up points. And soon, I'm not talking about a point here, I'm talking about three points to, to lift them away from that danger area. But... It's a stick on now, now. <laughs> <laughs> Dules, what do and you I'm think? <laughs> One thing I was just thinking about there was, you know, T- Tommy Wright. He's getting obviously a lot of pressure put on him, um, and everybody's talking about, you know, he could, he could be sacked. He's probably the most successful manager St Johnston's ever had. Yeah. Mm, you know, you yeah. look at what he's won. Um, you know, Scottish Cup. Yep. He won Scottish Cup. Top six mo- most seasons, probably punching well above their weight, although that maybe St Johnston wouldn't think that, but you know, look how strong the other the other clubs are. For St Johnston to be doing that yep. year after year is, is amazing. And one of the things I, I noticed about them is they had a, a very aging squad. You know, the, the squad was getting older, mm-hmm. but they were they were all players you could rely on. Yeah. That's why they were probably in the top six. Because they, they would win games one 0 You know, and I've played against them. As soon as they score, you just think, oh, this is it's going to be one now because they've, they've literally got yeah. all these experienced players yeah. and they get shut back up, in shop. and they shut up shop. Whereas now, you know, they've probably got one of the youngest squads in the in the seat in the league. Um, I'm sure young Jason Kerr's only 22. You know, he was a club captain. He's 22 years old. Great player. He's still 22 years old, so he could do with maybe a, a few um, experienced players round about them mm-hmm. um, to maybe just drag them through these games that they can win one now. Dills, what about... Do the uh, Premiership rules allow for first goal the winner, Bill? 
<laughs> I bet you both the managers are praying that it, it does. I mean, they'd love to play that when they first go to the winner. But uh, if there's a goal, then it'll be the winner. Uh, the, golden goal rule comes to, the golden goal rule comes to Scotland. <laughs> hey, what a good thought, Tony. I might, I might actually push for that the next time uh, I'm uh, saying there should be uh, rule changes. Window. That might save us all a lot of bother. Cracker. Motherwell Aberdeen duels. Uh, Motherwell, for me, have been, have been really good this season and I'm pleased to see it. I like Stevie Robinson. I like Keith Lasley. Uh, and I think they've got some cracking players at Motherwell. Uh, and players that, if they can find consistency week in, week out, I think can do very well this season. Brilliant, yeah. And I, I would agree with you that they've been probably a joy to watch at times because... One thing I like about the manager is he knows a style of play. He's, he's always, even when you know, I was at Thistle and we were in the Premier League, he, he knew what he wanted for his team and he would go and sign players specifically to do a specific job. Mm-hmm. You know, when we played against them, they were big, physical, you know, and, and they made no bones about that. It, and you think sometimes, you know what, it might not be pretty. We spoke about it before, but, but it yet results. But, you know, it worked. And it, and, but now, you know, he's changing things. They're now exciting to watch. And, um, you know, I, I think it'll be a really good game because although Aberdeen's results have been up and down, I think on their day um, they've got some match winners there. Um, and, you know, I think end-to-end there'll be goals in that game. Um, I think that's for sure. Um, you know, Cosgrove at, at Aberdeen has been a revelation there, has been amazing for them. Yeah. They're obviously losing goals at their end, as we were just saying. It's putting the two together. <laughs> Um, that's the that's the problem, and that's why you know results do seem to fluctuate so much. Tony, has Derek McInnes suffered a wee bit from the Levine syndrome, where he's lost players and, and, so. and not in the same level yeah. in terms of volume, but key players. Yeah, I, I tell you what, uh, you know the Aberdeen fans better be careful what they wish for, because McInnes is a shrewd, shrewd manager, and he, he, if you talk about jettisoning him, then you may as well pull the shutters down and put on, you know, he's, a, he's the best manager I've had in a long, long time, you know what I mean? And be careful, you know, if, if you want to see him, him walk into the abyss, then so be it. But who do you get to replace him mm. and who do you get to do as good a job as he's done, you know? He will turn that, uh, turn that around and they're the kind of team that will go to for part when Motherwell are on a high and do a number on, on Motherwell, you know what I mean? But uh, it doesn't appear likely on paper because Motherwell was a terrific start you know, they're just a, a great example of a community club that just uses all its resources and uses them wisely. Got a terrific manager, knows the market, knows how to get guys to come up and put themselves in the in the shop window. You know, give them a platform. Hungry guys from down south, mm-hmm. big physical guys, as Chris says, and no afraid to turn around and say, "We're going to mix it with you." You know, if that if that's what it takes. But he's kind of. He switched that style, and they're, and they're a they're a better footballing team than a lot of people give them credit for. Motherwell, yep. you know, and you, you know, the fragility in the Aberdeen side. You think that it's a home win tomorrow uh, on Saturday, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Reds did a number on them because it's it's the kind of challenge that McInnes and and his backroom team and his players have risen to so often in the past. When people think, oh, it's it's not happening up there, you know, and all of a sudden they go on a five, six, seven, eight unbeaten unbeaten run, you know, so. Uh, I, I, I think that one's too close to call to be honest you know what I mean my, my head says Motherwell but my heart says maybe Aberdeen yeah. it, you know 
Yeah. Uh, Battle of the 4G. It's uh, Kelly against Livy. Livy again have done what they did last season, got off to a cracking start. Uh, and it's good to, that if you're holy, that you've got the points in the bag. Kelly got off to a wee bit yeah. of a stutterer, but they're coming good under Alessio. And for me, one of the reasons is that he's kind of gone back to Steve Clark's style of play yeah. rather than trying to change it and make them into Inter Milan. It ain't broke, don't fix it. Correct. You know what I mean? He, he, I think the first thing he did was kind of uh, ostracise uh, Alex Dyer, you know, when he first came in. But, I mean, surely the wisest thing would to, to do would have been to say to him, Alex, how did this work before? How well, You know, when we were solid and we were rigid, you know? And the, the Connors key loss just, just showed you exactly, you know, what, what was happening there. He was trying to implement his style and, you know, the guys were just taking time to get, get used to it. But then, as you say, he probably thought, you know what, it was working before. I don't need to change it too much, you know, because not many personnel left to Marnock in the summer. You know, they've still got the, the, the guts of that team, you know. And now, as you say, Bill, I think he has gone back to basics and thought, right, what did Clark do? And maybe canvas the guys and ask them, what did you do before? Right, can we get back to doing that? Because everybody knew their job. I thought you know, sometimes that... And, and, and it, a unit that functioned well. That Connor's key defeat probably put more pressure on him, you know, so early in the season yeah. that the Commandant fans were probably wondering why there was going to be a lot of changes and then all of a sudden you get beat from a team like Connor's key, with no disrespect to them, yeah. but I think Commandant were expected to beat them. And mm-hmm. then, you know, trying to change a style, there were probably, no one really would expect any to change, they were probably all expecting the same style. Um, personnel yeah. pretty much was the same at that point. And then, you know, they see all these changes to the, the way they're playing and then they get turned over from a team like Connors Key. And I just thought that all of a sudden put a lot of pressure on the man. He kind of brought that on to himself, maybe unnecessarily yeah. if he'd kept things the way it was before. Um, you know, the, yep. you've probably got a, a team there who you could just put out on the pitch who are well-drilled already. Um, and they would probably mm-hmm. have beaten Connors Key, in my opinion. But, you know, trying to implement your own ideas in, in a short space of time it just it maybe just didn't work, but you see now they're slowly but surely they're, they're picking up results. So um, he's clearly settling a lot better now. But well, well it's, it's interesting that they're playing Livy because see when Holt he took over the day after he took over at, at Livy, I said to him, "What do you think you need to change?" And he said, "Nothing." He yeah. said, "I just need to fine tune a couple of things." Yeah. But the team are doing what the team do well. He said, why would I go in and start tinkering with it? We're now seeing Kelly starting to do well because I think they look more like the Steve Clark team than they did earlier in the season, Tony. But I also think as well, Bill, and, 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 and nobody can tell me any different, see these two teams that play the plastic surface, you cannot tell me that they don't have an advantage. Yeah, no, I agree. When they I agree. Play there. You know, and I don't think plastic surfaces have any place in top-level football uh, in any league in Europe, but UEFA say they, they are, and so that they're allowed. But in my opinion, plastic pitches should be banned from top flight football in every European league. You know, mm-hmm. it's just my own thoughts on that, but because I don't think clubs like Kilmarnock and Livingston could thrive and survive if they didn't have a, a plastic pitch. I mean, thrive and survive in, like, in, in, in the way that they have. In terms of uh, you know finishing third in Kilmarnock's case and finishing comfortable in the in the Premiership last season and in, in, in the likes of Livingston's case, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, just my own thoughts. But uh, they're not breaking any rules, so they're, they're taking advantage of it and they're riding that wave. 
but you can't tell me that these these two. I mean, tomorrow's a kind of cancelling out because both of them playing a plastic pitch, so to the victor the spoils type thing. But they, they they do they have a a distinct advantage when it comes to playing other teams on that surface. Yeah, you're right. Chris will be able to tell you that because he's played in it often enough. Yeah, I would agree. I think they've got an advantage. If you train on that pitch every every day, you know how the ball bounces. You know how quickly or how slowly at times that the ball moves. If you don't and you turn up. You know, you get all of a sudden, you know, they bought, I've run onto balls and they've bounced in the stuff and checked back up over my head and you look like an absolute <laughs> idiot. But it's so difficult to, to work out if you don't train on that every day. And, and I've been at Kilmarnock and Livingston's and they, they, they can judge those bounces a lot better than, than you can. What have you got in the daily record for us tomorrow, Tony? Uh, what have I got tomorrow? I was out seeing Paul Heckingbottom at Hibs, so he's talking about the the importance of the, the role of the... Uh, the, the head of recruitment, you know, how because Graham Matthew had been linked with a move away to, to Rangers and Kilmarnock, so he was kind of talking about him and how he loves it at Hibs and he loves to be there and he's no angling for a move. So get your money on him being at Kilmarnock. <laughs> 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 well, listen, don't give too much <laughs> away because. Don't say too much because if anybody wants to know more about that, they can buy the Daily Record tomorrow. Thanks for being on with us, Tony. Always Cheers, good to Tony. talk to you. Thanks. Hi, always a pleasure, and Chris, all the best to you, mate. Cheers, thank Cheers. you. Take care. Tony Haggerty there from the Daily Record talking to us uh, about a number of different things. Uh, listen, it's been the international break, and uh, Alfredo Morelos took a wee bit of stick. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, from Colombian critics blaming him for the result. Uh, he came on as an early sub against Chile and started in a 3-0 defeat against Algeria. Uh, we're going to talk in just a minute to Simon Edwards, who's a football expert on Colombian football. He's actually based in Medellin, and he'll actually tell us the truth behind those Morelos performances uh, and give us an idea of how Colombia sees uh, the Glasgow Rangers striker. How good is Alfredo Morelos in your mind, Chris? I think he's Tremendous, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, how can you be getting blamed for for poor? He's he's been outstanding for Rangers, you know. He's probably been the main man, you know, if not maybe one or two. He's been the main man, but again, going back to even the Scotland, we, we've got four, five or six playing the English Premiership and being outstanding, and they come to the national team, and and it maybe just doesn't work as as well or as fluently as it is at club football, but. You know, Morelos, I, I think, said an outstanding season. He's certainly no lacking in confidence. Um, I, I don't really know what's what's went on. I tell you what, I've, I find unbelievable how easily he rolls players, he rolls defenders. He's very clever. He's, he's just strong. great at it, isn't he? I mean, his upper body strength is phenomenal. I think his touch has got better. I think his temperament, the way yep. it is now, still has that wee bit of edge, but he doesn't get involved in things. Uh, and I think you can now start to see the potential properly in Alfredo Morelos. Yep, definitely. You know, and I guess we'll go about before about his temperament. I think if you if you tell Morelos to, to completely change his temper, you lose a bit of Alfredo yeah. Morelos. I think you still want a wee bit of fire in his belly. But I, I think Gerard's and probably Jermaine Defoe, you know, putting an arm around him, leading by example. I think that's an important thing in a football club. I don't think Jermaine Defoe was 100% brought to just score goals. Everybody knows he'll score goals because he's done it his full career. I think some of that is, you know, to lead by example because on a daily basis, the way he looks after himself, there's a reason why he's playing at 37 Seven, years old yeah. and still scoring goals and still looking in great shape. If Morelos looks at Jermaine Defoe, he can see the future almost. And at such a young age for Morelos, you know, the sky's the limit for him right now. 
And um, I'm sure that Stephen Gerrard and Jermaine Defoe will have a massive impact. Well, let's let's go to Colombia and speak to Simon Edwards. Simon, first of all, thank you for being on with us today. Um, let, let me ask you, uh, because Alfredo Morales has had a, a little bit of stick uh, from Colombian critics, fair or unfair? Nice to, nice to be invited. Um, no, in terms of his performances this week, you know, I, I think he didn't put the ball in the net. He had a couple of half chances. Um, he's not the finished article. He's a little bit raw. He's a bit, you know, he, he throws himself around a little bit. But in terms of his overall performance, I thought it was very, very positive. Um, particularly against Chile, came on very early for Duan Zapata, who went off injured, playing as a as a number nine in a in a front three, and he he did really well pressing the defence. Uh, had a couple of chances, but a lot of the chances that he had came from him winning a 50-50, winning the ball of the defence. He dropped deeper as well and linked the play. The Columbia played with two you know, wide forwards tucking inside, so he dropped deep and played them in. So I thought his overall game, from his pressing to his hold-up play to his link play, was very good. It was a shame he couldn't put the ball in the back of the net, but I think his contribution for Columbia this week was overall very, very positive. Let me ask you about his selection, because there are times when we've thought here in Scotland that he would get selected for the national squad and hasn't. There are other times where he has and and maybe not been at his best. What's the general feeling about Morelis and the fact that he plays in the Scottish Premier League? Yeah, so it's a combination of things. I mean, one, he left Colombia before he'd established himself. He played for the U20 national team and was a bit of a surprise inclusion. Um, was played mostly for his, his link play and I think um, didn't score the goals for the U20, but played fairly well uh, ahead of some more high-profile young players. Left very, very early to go to Europe and uh, people hadn't really seen him much in Colombia when he left. So his goals in Scotland are always shown on the TV and people are very excited, but he's not a player people have existing opinions of. So the feeling is that people are excited to see this guy who's banging them in in Europe, but there's not a sense, people don't know what they're getting really, um, aside from a guy who can score goals uh, in outside of one of the top two or three leagues in, in Europe. So there's a lot of enthusiasm, but also it means people maybe draw conclusions a little bit too quickly based upon a limited amount of game time. Chris, his debut... Sorry, go on, go on, Simon. ...inadvertently on the line with his backside, which was an ideal. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think he's done, he's done well. Chris, let me ask you, because we, we were talking the other week about Lauren Shanklin getting his chance coming from the Championship in Scotland into the international team. And one of the things I think we're all agreed on is, within a certain level, if somebody's hot, You've got to pick them and you've got to include them. Whether you play them in both games or things like that, it's another story altogether. But you can't deny that despite the fact of what people might think about Scottish football, uh, Morelis is hot. He's scoring goals and has done consistently since he's been in the Scottish game. Surely, if you're a manager or a coach, and I know we've got to look at, you know, we may not have the, the, the knowledge and depth of what he's up against in terms of competition within the Colombian setup, but you've still got to have him there, presumably, just in case. Yeah, I think so. You know, and it's a, it's a tricky one because I'm sure the, the people of Colombia only really see Morelos when he plays for the country they maybe see snippets of his goals but they're expecting a, a striker who you know he's scoring not only in Scottish football he's scoring in Europe so that, that's broadcast all across the world yeah. so it's not as if he's only doing it in the in the Scottish game he's proven that he can do it in Europe um, I think it's maybe just a case of now 
giving him the time to maybe adjust to um, international football, which again is probably a step up. Um, he's such a young guy. Um, I think what one thing we noticed was his his overall game is improving, and it's improving quickly. Um, you know, he's hold up play, he's link, he's rolling defenders. You know, he's using his body a lot better now. He, he will score goals. He can always score goals. I think that's obvious. But the, the other parts of his game, um, when you look at the, the other players in the in the, in the club at Colombia, you know, the, they could be they're playing a lot bigger leagues at times. But Alfredo Morelos is, is probably deserving of his chance in the, in the national team. It's about him maybe taking that chance. Simon, it's one of those things where you've got to look at Morelos, you've got to look at his age, you've got to look at his experience. Surely even just being included on a regular basis in the squad is going to make him develop quicker and better as an international player, just being around the international setup, And it's going to give him more confidence about being an international player, you would think. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, while he's a big personality on the pitch, I think as a general, you know, as a person, he's quite shy. Having spoken to his coaches back in Colombia when he was a kid, you know, they would bring him on in the second half because he was playing a couple of years up and he was a bit too nervous to, to play from the start. So he is kind of an introverted person on the football pitch. He makes, he makes a big effort to have an impact. And I think sometimes the discipline issues kind of result from him knowing OK, I'm going to Scotland, I know it's a tough league, I want to put myself about, the manager's told me to get stuck in. I think maybe to go a little bit too far at times. But I think in terms of personality, I think he's a little bit reserved. Uh, and obviously, yeah, getting that experience is important. I think for Colombia, Duvan Zapata is the number one. Falcao is a question mark. He's, he's declined a lot. He doesn't quite play the number nine, the pivot role, as well as Duvan. And, and I think Morelos has an opportunity to be a more natural backup, playing that link play up top. Uh, than Falcao today. So it's, it's probably those three, and then you have someone like Borre, who's a very good pressing forward, plays for River Plate, similar to kind of Shane Long. So again, very useful, but maybe not as the sole striker. So if Colombia was going to play a 4-3-3 with one focal point number nine, I think that suits Morelos fairly well. And I think behind Duvan Zapata, who is top goal scorer in Italy two years in a row, a great, great striker. I think he's a, a good fit for an alternative to play that system. When when we, we talk about Alfredo Morelos, and bearing in mind the disciplinary problems he had last season, uh, and they were fairly well highlighted, have we been unfair in attributing it to the fact that he comes from a, a Latin American country? Um, you know, you, you seem to think, that, and I'm getting from what you're saying, that even in Colombia they think his temperament's a little bit kind of fiery or too fiery and, and attribute down to the fact that he's playing in Scotland. We kind of put it back the other way and attributed it to maybe coming from a country where we stereotypically think of their temperament as being quite volatile. Yeah, I mean, having spoken to people close to him, I think there was definitely a sense that he was perhaps overcompensating because he's a, he's a shy guy. And going into a, a, a new league, where he was trying to make an impact. I think he was told by a lot of people around him in Scotland, look, this is going to be tough. You know, they're going to, going to try and tackle you. You're going to be strong. If you're this South American striker coming in, you've got to make sure you stand up for yourself. And I think there's a bit of a sense that he kind of felt some of those strong tackles and maybe overcompensated in his reactions. And, you know, I think it's a bit of an adaption as well. Um, having spoken to people close to him, Stephen Gerrard's been a very positive influence on him. Uh, but there's also a slight sense that you know, sometimes people need to be a bit tougher on him. You know, get set him, sit him down and go, all right, switch on. He was hugely disappointed to miss out on the Copa America. 
I think he expected to go, and in the end, he wasn't selected, and that that was a big blow for him. Obviously, he's now back involved in the picture, so it's it's a, it's a big question. There's a lot of questions There's still about his Colombian future, potential moves uh, elsewhere in Europe in the future. Um, but you know, I think I think his personality is slightly introverted uh, off the field, and then on the field, he's I think he makes a big effort to kind of stand up for himself and have an impact. And obviously he does that uh, usually for good and sometimes can get in a bit of trouble. Dills, how easy is it for a young guy like Alfredo Morelos coming from Colombia uh, via Finland to Rangers and all of a sudden being thrust out in front of 53,000 every home game and for the most part they're all shouting your name and chanting your name uh, how easy is it to deal with that and not get swept along in it where the actual adrenaline flow starts to kind of take over your thought process? Yeah, I think it's probably very difficult for him um, you know, Simon was saying there that he's a shy, nervous, you know, introverted person and then you, you, you so we, we possibly didn't know that you know, but then you watch him on the football pitch and he's careering all over the, opposite, the place, yeah. yeah. And he's getting involved in everything. But fans only see what they see on the pitch. They probably don't know that off the pitch he's quite a shy person. But then you wonder like, that makes him vulnerable, you know. So if you put him out there in front of fifty thousand, and I've been at Ibrox when it's it's full and it makes some noise. Um, obviously, if you're playing for Rangers, they're shouting your name, which is great. But it's still going to have an effect on it. That expectation level at, at Ibrox is huge. Um, and if you're coming from you know Colombia, whatever. You come with an expectation that you can deliver, um, which he has done. You know, for, for Rangers, I don't think anybody could say he's he's not been a good signing for Rangers. I think he's been a brilliant signing. Um, but possibly then it's about you know he's got the ability, he can score goals, but his personality of, of that being that shy and nervous and introvert. Maybe if he can work on that, will that uh, affect his his role at Colombia in terms of he, he can he can play he can play the lone striker mm. role. He's got all the tools he needs, but possibly that. That, you know, trying to make up for being shy and nervous affects his performance playing for his country because the expectation is there that you know he's maybe not as well known and as the other players in the Colombian setup. You know, Falcao, for instance, and he's trying to live up to that, which yeah. takes away from his ability. Whereas it's at Rangers right now, he's the main man. So you know, he walks out, he sticks his chest out. They pass to him every chance they get. Whereas when he goes to the Colombian setup, there's other big players there, yeah. bigger players than him. Um, and you know, if he's already a kind of introverted person, it could have a, a, a kind of detrimental effect to, to his performance, just because you know he is very shy. Simon, he, he kind of takes quite a lot on his shoulders as well on a personal level in terms of he's, he's very you know, family-orientated and he does a lot of charity work and I know he's set various projects up back in Colombia. Give us a wee bit of background to, to Alfredo Morelos's kind of upbringing and his family. Yeah, so um, just very briefly in the last part, I think he needs a goal for Colombia. You can see maybe he's doing a little bit extra of the pressing work, a little bit extra dropping back to compensate from the fact he hasn't quite got the ball in the net. So I think I was desperate to score because I think that would be a big, big step in settling his nerves, everyone feeling more comfortable with him. So I think in terms of Colombia, if he puts the ball in the back of the net, then I think he's, I think he's off and running. Uh, in terms of his background, yeah, he comes from up in uh, near Monteria. Uh, it's an area of Colombia that's you know, fairly underdeveloped, a lot of issues with organized crime, uh, paramilitary groups. It's a bit of a turbulent area. Um, he moved to Medellin fairly young, um, 15, 16 years old, and played for Deputy Windermann in Medellin, a bigger club. Um, but yeah, in terms of his background, absolutely he's got a charity. He's set up, you know, many Colombian players uh, do. 
So is that supporting the community where he grew up, giving footballing opportunities, and also that also supports the family, creates a, a group that kind of builds outwards, giving opportunities to the young players, providing food and providing uh, boots and things for for the family. So it's something many Colombian players do. It's something that they see as a big responsibility. When they get some time off, they come back and play charity matches uh, and they'll organize things for the community. So, yeah, it's definitely something a lot of Colombian players do. And you see players from Colombia who move to China and you think, oh, it's terrible, they're wasting their talent. But that money, they, you know, they provide food and they provide support for 100,000 kids. So it's always a broader picture when you're talking about players from an underdeveloped country that doesn't have a great deal of support for poorer, poorer communities and poorer people. Do you see the day when, when Alfredo Morales does become the number one striker for Colombia? It, it's difficult. I think he's going to be, he has the potential to be in the conversation. But I do think Duran Spata, who's what, 27, around that age, I think he could be one of the best number nines in the world. So it's going to be tricky to depart Duran just because I think if Colombia is going to play one lone striker, okay. powerful. Duan Zapata, who's banging him in every week in Italy, is currently a step above. But I think being in the squad, uh, being involved frequently, potentially moving down the line to a, to a bigger club, I think he has the potential and quality to be to be in the conversation uh, with Duvan. And I think that's a pretty good place to be because honestly, I think Duvan, a big move, maybe a Man United in the next 12 months, and we're talking about one of the top two or three strikers in the world. So tough competition, but being in... Uh, one of those you know, three uh, positions as the number nine for Colombia will be a, will be a good place and uh, would set him up for a nice career. Simon, thanks for talking to us from Colombia to, tonight. Obviously, it's afternoon there for you. Um, but thank you very much for giving us the lowdown on why Alfredo Morales shouldn't get the stick that he's had from critics in Colombia uh, and uh, a wee bit more about the man himself and, and why maybe we don't know or understand as much about Alfredo Morales as a person, never mind a player. So thanks for that. Uh, Simon Edwards there is a, a Colombian football expert talking to us from Medellin in uh, Colombia today, tonight. It was, uh, as I say, about one o'clock there in the afternoon when we were speaking to him. Dills, just, just looking at that, and I, 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 I suppose really, when, you, when you're a young player that comes from that kind of background, you love to play football and you want to play football, but you know when you've got so much, and I don't mean it's pressure and it's expected, but it seems to be the norm that players reinvest back in their communities. It kind of, it's a lot to carry on your shoulders, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, and, and I think pressure is probably the right word for it because even subconsciously, players from, you know, these kind of countries will feel the need to, to reinvest the money they got that's why when they move to these Chinese uh, these Chinese teams you know and it's great to hear because I love to hear that footballers are actually doing things you know never forget your roots because I think it's you know football will quickly bring you back down yeah so um, it's great when when they're flying high is to to help people back home and, and I think that you should they should all be commended for that but it probably does bring that pressure where you know you have to go and make plenty of money it said there that there's some players um, looking after 100,000 kids, you know, providing for them. Yeah. That's an awful that lot. Is a, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. And if you're Alfredo Morelos, um, at whatever age he is, a young age, it's a lot um, of, of added pressure, along with the pressures already on him at Rangers. Mm. OK, let's move from Colombia to uh, Sweden. 
Tony McNally, how are you? Hi, Bill, how are you? I'm uh, very good. I'm good. I'm, I'm assuming you're actually in Sweden for once. Yes, I am, mate. Etter Hogdals. I can never get it right. Yeah, Etter Hogdals. Uh, uh, listen, been a good season for you so far. Um, managed to beat the top side one nothing on Sunday to secure your place in the playoff position. Uh, how's the season been generally? Obviously, getting to the playoffs a big deal, but I mean, have, have you been fairly consistent? Uh, and were you have you exceeded expectations, Tony? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great season. Um, I thought the boys were outstanding on, on Sunday. Um, overall, yeah, it has been a consistent season and we have exceeded well beyond the expectations. We've won the, the DM Cup in our region. Um, we've finished second in the league. We've played 32 competitive matches over the course of the season. Um, we are 75% win ratio. So we've, we've, done, we've done very well. Um, 90, 97 goals scored in 32 competitive games and only 34 conceded so yeah it's been a very very good season um, defensively as well we, we clicked 16 clean sheets in that 32 game so yeah it's great Bill there's not many people could argue with those stats. They're fairly impressive duels, aren't they? <laughs> they were probably trying to keep up there. They were. <laughs> it was like three goals to a game and what one conceded roughly. So that was they won in most games three yeah, one. You're, you're doing all right. Yeah, roughly around about that, Chris. Um, we've, we've got a very young squad as well. I think we've got an average age of the squad, 21 year old, as an average age. Um, we've got eight players under the age of 19 playing consistently every week. Um, and obviously, 97 goals scored. We've got 17 different goal scorers out of a squad of 21. So it's going, it's going really well. Brilliant. And all this for a village of 600. Well, I was actually told last night, but it's only 530. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 70 have been transferred, Tony. Sorry? 70 have been transferred. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean we've spoken about this before, and, and and for us, you know, we 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 talk about the game in Scotland and how it's not developing in the way that we we wish it would develop, and all the rest of it. Duels obviously wasn't here uh, when you were speaking to us last time, and you've been in a couple of times. Explain a wee bit again about the infrastructure, in, and and I'm not being funny, but in your village in Sweden, so that Chris gets some kind of feel for this. And the reason I'm asking Tony to do this, Dills, is because when you hear this, you'll kind of look and your eyes will glaze over and you'll think, that's investment in football. So give us a, give us a talk through it again, Tony, if you would. Yeah, well, um, obviously, it's a very small village. We've got a grass, a grass pitch in the ground, which is very well maintained by one one person um, who does a remarkable job. We've got uh, three full-size grass training pitches, which are all sprinklered as well as the, as well as the grass pitch in the, in the ground. We've got um, an indoor gym hall, um, which we do yoga and Pilates as part of the recovery sessions. We've got a swimming pool, again, part of the recovery sessions, a fully equipped gym, and we've got an indoor dome that, that we use for the winter training as well. Um so that's basically it in a nutshell, but for, for a small village, it's unbelievable the facilities <laughs> village, A village of 570 people, but there's a best bit. Tell us about the key again, uh, Tony. <laughs> the, the key to the offices and the, the, the ground is hanging on the latch, um, basically next to the front door. <laughs> <on a shoot. laughs> Quite high in security then, are you? <laughs> 
But Dules, when you hear that, that is investing in in developing young players and, and and investing in football generally within the community. That's amazing, you know, and, and well done to them because, and it probably shows that you know you can do it if if you invest, even at small small towns, small villages. There's going to be good players there. And we said that they've got boys under 18 years old, 19 years old, playing week in, week out. What a massive, you know, pat in the back to to the club, not only for finding these players, but for actually giving them the chance to, to go out there and play. But on the other side of that, they've got facilities there where these boys can spend their, their day there. They're not just there to train and go home. I bet you they've got boys kicking around in the gym, in the pool, doing all these other things, which keeps them at the training ground, which is a great thing because, you know, modern footballers like to go in, train and go home. And I think because they don't yep. have facilities, um, whereas, you know, as the, Tony's saying there, the, there's facilities there. Why would they not want to stay? If you yeah. want to improve, stay, do extra, hit the gym, relax in the swimming pool, you end up spending your day in, at the training ground all in a small town um, of 600 people. Tony, it's a good point yeah, that Chris makes. Yeah, definitely, Chris. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of young players. A lot of the players that we've got are recruited from out with the, the village and we try and get as many Swedish players as we can. Um and we use our contacts very well back in Scotland, England, um, and, and across Europe as a whole. Um, I've got the gaffer sitting with me at the moment. Um, if you want to ask him anything as well, um, I think he's been here two years now. Um, and he, he knows how difficult it's been um, to try and build the club. Um, from, as I say, in the last show, Bill, four years ago, the club was in Division 6, playing part-time football, struggling to field a team, um, and not many, many people... We're in the village as well, living there. Um, but now everything just seems to be seems to be booming. Well, let's have a word with Eddie and just have a because a couple of things I want to ask him as well, and, and just see what what his thoughts are on this. Uh, so, if you want to pass the phone over to him, I'll, I'll have a. Hey, yeah, how are you? I'm all right, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah. L- listen, one of the things one of the things I want to ask you because Tony's obviously talked us through everything and he's been in with us before. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is that obviously it's been a great season. You've got the opportunity to get into the top flight. Uh, we know about the makeup of the squad, the the young players that you've got. Is now the right time for the team to go up and is it sustainable for you? Because one of the worst things in the world for any manager is to be a manager of a boomerang team. So I was just wondering if if you think you've you've got everything in place that if you went up that you could make a fist of it. It's always been difficult for teams going out of this division into Division 1. There's no secret, secret in that, especially from the north of Sweden where we are with the problems that we have with recruiting... 50% 50% of our matchday squad must be Swedish. Um, but I think with the, we now have a full-time um, head of recruitment who his sole job is to find us Swedish players. So if we do go up, we will be able to fulfil our commitment in getting 50% of our matchday squad. But also not just go out and find me nine Swedish players. Go find me nine quality Swedish players that will keep us in the league. We don't, like you say, we don't want to be going up, coming down. We want to be sustainable. Um, the club has um, clear ambitions for us to go up, and I think the club supports us very well with the belief that, you know, should we go up, we will be able to sustain it through financial means. We certainly have enough accommodation to move people from all over Sweden and the UK to, to put people up so that we can 
you know, actually move people geographically to our location. Maybe that's something you should explain because I say Chris Doolan's with me uh, tonight and, and Duels hasn't been in with us before when we've had Tony and explain that about the situation about accommodation because this is quite quite stunning as well. We have um, 18 um, rooms, sing- um, basically single apartments for, for 18 players and then myself, Tony... Uh, and the two physios currently live uh, in a, they call it the church house. It's, a, it's the house next to the church, and I think the church actually owned the house. But we, we have this huge big house for the four of us. Um, so, so we live there. So the, the, the actual club in itself has accommodation to accommodate 18 players. And part of, the, part of the package when we move players from the UK or Sweden is that they get free accommodation, including Wi-Fi and all running costs. Um, so that, that's that's an attractive proposition for, for most people. God, how I wish I was younger and could still play football. I'd be over in Sweden like a like a robber's dog. What's your thoughts on that, Dules? That honestly sounds amazing. And I think, you know, I actually know one of the players is Michael McMullen that, that went from yeah. from Partick. I played with, with Michael as a young boy yeah. at Thistle um, when I was there. And, um, you know, great to see that he's doing well over there. But, you know, you see, you have to look after these, but you're, you're moving them countries. They're young vulnerable boys you have to then take them into an environment that you look after them otherwise they can completely go off the off the scale and off the charts and you, and you just lose them as footballers but it certainly sounds like you know this club are, are well prepared and not only that not just well prepared for being in the, the top league but they're actually investing as the club's going well they're not waiting until they're struggling to then throw a bit of money at it they're actually as they're on the rise there's clearly money being invested there, and they're planning for the future. I think that's the, that's the way to do it, and um, you know, well done to you because certainly get the, the right kind of model, and um, it, it just shows you that um, th- this can bring success um, at any level. Eddie, one of the things I was going to say to you as well, and I was talking about the infrastructure and are you ready to go up and is it the right time? But of course, one of the good things about it is once you go up into the top league, it's going to be easier to attract players because they want to play at the highest level. It, we're actually going to, next level will be Division One, which is like the third tier of Swedish football. So okay. it's like um, the English. So it, it will always be the higher you go, the easier it is to attract people who want to play at that level. So yeah, I think you know we struggle at the moment to attract Swedish players because um, where we are geographically. But I think if we did go to Division One, we would find it. I'm not going to say easy, but I think easier is the is the right thing to say there, Bill. I think. We would find find it easier to get uh, Swedish players because a lot of them want to play Division One football. How frustrating is it for you? And I mean this in a retrospective way, because obviously you've got a great set up there and it's it's bearing fruit. How frustrated do you get when you look at the way things happened back in the UK in terms of facilities, in terms of investment into grassroots, in terms of, you know, more and more teams are starting to become more community orientated. But you're actually seeing a model which is well established and works to perfection. It must be as frustrating as hell. Uh, and I know it's good that you're, you're there, but to have to go to another country to be able to see all this stuff rather than see it in our own country and, and make use of it. I, I think I think you're, you're absolutely right, Bill. I think one of the reasons that you know that we, we come abroad is the fact that you, you go through the qualification systems, but you know you get your UEFA qualifications, but you, you, you really aren't going to get the opportunity really to coach at senior level because, you know, 
unless you, you're coming out of the professional game or you're, you're, you've got a name behind you or 15 years of you know, managerial experience in the lower leagues and you've, you've gone up through the systems, you're not going to get that chance. And that's pretty similar to the lads we've got here. We have got some of the best footballing lads I've ever, I've ever had the, the, the fortune to work with. Brilliant lads who you know, want to progress, want to develop, want to learn. They come in for extra sessions, worked, you know, come in yesterday for an extra session on the recovery day. It is frustrating. It really is frustrating that, you, you know, you, you weren't given the opportunity and chance. And maybe maybe it's because there's so many people all vying for the same opportunities. But over here, um, certainly, been, you know, I was given the opportunity. And um, I had a guy called Andy Hardy last year who didn't want to continue this year. Um, so, of course, Tony's now got the opportunity to, to, to do first team uh, and senior football, which is, you know, the, the way it works. And you, you give people the opportunity and people will either grasp it or they won't. And that's the same with players. You know, they may have been released by UK Pro, Pro Academies, told they're not going to be good enough for a pro contract. They come out here and some actually thrive. Curtis Edwards was a classic example. We had Curtis here. He went on to Ossesund, he's now playing in Jew Garden. So, you know, he played against Arsenal a couple of years ago in the Europa League, etc. Tell so us people it. do get the opportunity. Sorry, go on, carry on, Eddie. So people do get the opportunity. You know, it's, it's grasping that opportunity when it's been given to you. It, it, you know, it's great to come over here. If you believe you're coming for a holiday, it's probably the worst thing you'll ever do. You're coming here to actually try and develop as a footballer and go back into the UK system if that's what you want. Um, and try and get that pro contract that you were told you couldn't have at 18. Mm. Tell us, give, give us a wee bit of a, uh, if you would, a preview of Sunday, because it's your first playoff game, it's at home. Uh, who are you playing, and what's your expectation of the, the competition? We're playing a, a team called Calbury, um, who um, we haven't played. They're, they're from further down south, so we play them um, at our ground at home on natural grass, which of course most teams um, in Sweden play on um, what they call cons grass 3G as we know it. So they won't be looking forward to coming to us. They won't be looking forward to playing on 3G. Both teams are pretty similar in the fact that ours is majority of them are ex-academy products from um, England and Scotland with a, a few Swedish players. Uh, they will be all academy products from AIK in Stockholm, Jew Garden, Bromapoiken, uh, so the ages will be about the same. Um, we'll probably play in pretty much the same way, except we'll obviously score more goals than them. A victory. Well, listen, good luck, and I hope it all goes well for, uh, for Sunday. Uh, and thanks for you and Tony taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thanks, Thanks, Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. There you go. Uh, Eddie Costello and Tony McNally talking to us from Itterhogdals. I hate saying that. <laughs> it's like you're gargling. Uh, but uh, obviously it's turned out... I mean, Tony comes in regularly when he's back and, and kind of updates us on things. And I, I think it's a bit sad that you do have to go and take your opportunities, even as young players uh, in another country. Having said that, when you get there, you must look at it and think at the facilities, the way you're looked after, everything. You know, like it's just absolutely incredible. And these young lads must turn up and be well surprised, I would I would think. You know, they're probably going to these countries, not that there's any point, going there thinking, I've not made it in Scotland for whatever reason, and to the first team, oh, well, I'll take a, a trip to these... And they turn up and they think, wow, you know, in, in a, a village with 600 people that you can provide 
18, 18 accommodation. It's um, incredible, at, isn't it? You know, all, all on site. Um, you know, the, the manager was talking there about how he pulled them in on their day off. For it. That's because they're all on site. You know, you, you just don't get that in Scotland. Yeah. They, all, they all go home and disappear. And some live hours away. You couldn't just pull them in randomly. Have you ever been tempted to go abroad yourself, Dulce? I've, I've had opportunities to go abroad. Were you tempted? Um, not, not particularly. Um, Why? Not for any reason other than... You know, You're at, a homeboy. At the time, yeah, at the time <laughs> I was obviously at Thistle and I'd been there a, a number of years. was going well. Um, it was Go and name the club, but tell me the countries that you had the um, opportunity to go to. Kazakhstan. Oh no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I had, no, it, you know it's it's obviously some of these countries you, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So that's what I mean. You know, I see players leave leave Scotland for India. I had three chances in the summer to go to India to three different clubs, but you know, not for any reason that it would take a lot to to get me to go to these countries just because I don't know what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, Sweden's obviously a, a lot more different in terms of. It's easier maybe to look up what's what the countries are like, but I'm pretty sure the, these young lads turned up and are well surprised with what they what they see and the facilities they see. And um, you know it's brilliant to hear that they're playing so many young young lads. And, and you know Michael McMullen, who I had at Thistle with me, just because he doesn't make it at Thistle, it, games football is a game of opinions. Yeah. And, and he goes out there and all of a sudden you know they've got a chance of winning leagues and. And, you know, good luck to them. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, let's move on and bring on our final guest. He's no stranger to the programme. And uh, another big game coming up in the Scottish Cup for Auchinleck Talbot uh, against Cove Rangers. And uh, Tommy Sloan is our final guest tonight. Tucker, how are you? Hi, fine, fine. Uh, that's the training just by. And, uh, that's as the preparations is done. And are you happy? Aye, look. It's fine. Uh, most days it's fat. Uh, so uh, I we're happy enough. We're happy enough. We know we've got a tough game in our It's a it's a competition though that you seem to relish and you revel in because uh, we only have to look back to last season in Air United uh, and Auchinleck all of a sudden was the name on everybody's lips. Tucker. Oh, no, we, we do. We, we love being involved in the, uh, the senior cup. Uh, it's something different for us, and what uh, we put a lot of effort into it. Uh, and we're, we've got uh, our rewards in the last year or two, anyway, like, uh, with some really good performances. So, what we really need a, a good one this week. Certainly, Cove are a very good side. Uh, Paul Hartley's brought in quite a number of players there for last year. Uh, so, and there's quality players, in honest way. So. It's going to be a tough ask, Yeah, but a tough game, Tom, here. I, I actually done the draw for you, so I'll apologise. I get nothing but text messages from people from Auckland. <laughs> you gave us the best team, and I couldn't believe you. <laughs> at least you're at home, that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> you're at home, not be a tough I, game. Uh, it will be a tough game, but you're doing well. So, um, you know, and any team that comes to Auckland, I think, is knows what they're in for. Um, obviously, I was, I was there under Tucker for a, for a year and a half. I think any team will turn up at Auchinleck and think, oh dear, right, we, we could be in trouble here. Oh, it's one of those ones when the draw comes out, you're thinking, please don't let it be us. You know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure other teams in that draw were, were hoping not to get Auchinleck Talbot, you know, because you've seen last year, they can turn any team over, especially at home. Um, but, you know, Cove will be a, tif- a, a difficult game for them, but um, I, I wouldn't write them off at all. Tucker, let me ask you are, you, are you happy in terms of uh, the squad, in, in terms of, have you got any injuries or things that are causing you any concern? 
Uh, look, maybe Brian Boyle and a wee note there, and but uh, one or two wee things. I'm, they're not going to be excuses. Uh, we're fine. We're doing well at the moment. Uh, I'm pleased enough for the start of the season. Uh, but as I say, we, we need to step up. We'll need to have a better performance than we'll put on uh, this season uh, to get through, I feel. Uh, I watched Cove the other week there. Uh, they beat Annan. Uh, I think it was 3-0 at the finish up. But, uh, they, they've signed... Uh, they've kept three or four for last year's squad and uh, I think he's more or less signed... Uh, the other seven or eight in the first in the first team certainly the first eleven are on you guys and they, they look certainly good quality to me. So, you know one thing I love about Tucker he never makes any excuses. <laughs> you know you had the chance to, to say a couple injuries there and you, and in senior football professional football managers will always come out and say oh, you know we've got a couple of players missing here and there. Tucker just tells <laughs> it the way it is. <laughs> and, you know there is a couple missing but. It's up to Ockham Lake to, to do the business and, and I think that's it's one of the reasons he's been so successful at the club is because he makes no bones about things, doesn't hide for nothing and people warm to that, you know, and local people will warm to that because that's the type of people they are. You know, I'm from Ockham Lake and, and my family, my mum and dad are still there. That's the type of people you've, you've got and the passion for football is through the roof and they all look to Tucker with, you know, starry eyes because um, he's probably one of the most successful managers that the club's ever had. Tommy, let me ask you a question. You see, when you see when you come up and you're looking at the, the senior cup like this, and you know you've got a game like you had with Air United, and like you've got with Cove. Does anything change in your preparation, or is it just business as usual at Auchinleck? The same. That uh, is the same. Uh, we, we try and keep it as normal as possible. What we'll touch on the other side. Uh, maybe a wee bit at the training, or just maybe mention it, the shape they play or whatever it is, but. Then we'll go over it again before the game on Saturday. No, no, we keep it uh, the same, and we'll, we'll try and do what we are good at as well. We've got to, we've got to remember that rather than just concentrating on opposition. But oh, I'm well aware they've got quality players right through their side, uh, and uh, but look, my players have done it before, and uh, hopefully they can do it again on Saturday. Look, we're going to give it a go anyway. But we're well aware it's going to take uh, a real effort. Uh, to get anything out of the game uh, but well we'll certainly give it a go Chris as a player how how important is the psychological strength in terms of thinking back to last season Tucker can say look we beat Air United we, we had a good game against Hearts you know daddy 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 da uh, how important is that just belief through experience I think the belief will, will be massive I think the experience will be even bigger for them because you know they've been to big stadiums, they've, they've been to Tynecastle and a lot of those players, if not all of them, are still there at the club this year. So you're not bringing in new players and introducing them to big games for the first time. You know, a lot of these players at Auckland Lake Talbot have experienced big games in, in the Senior Scottish Cup so they'll know what to expect, you know, they'll, they'll understand that there's pressure coming but, you know, is there a lot of pressure on Auckland Lake Talbot? I, I don't know if there is um, and it just shows you that you know, Talbot can be a, a fierce team um, and can turn any team over because maybe the expectancy isn't there um, for them. But like I say, I, I wouldn't write them off because especially at home, I know what they can do. Tucker, you don't sound like a man under pressure, I have to say. <laughs> oh, look, hey, Chris, you were here. You, there's always a bit of pressure at Hockey Lake. The support, uh, well, they like to win. Uh, like any other support, I suppose, but look, we're going to go and uh, have a right go at uh, uh, Cove Rangers on Saturday. 
uh, and see what it takes us. Uh, well, I think we're doing well. We've got good players on the side, certainly players that can hurt them. Uh, but it's uh, keeping it tight at the bat is, is just as important. I must admit, we really need to keep it tight and be really resolute in our defending, I think. What are you expecting from Cove? Because they're they're going to come down, uh, or you're going to go up, or whatever it is. Are you at home or are you away, Tommy? Sorry, but at home, man. You're at home, man. So they're going to come down. Cove are going to come down, uh, and they're the ones that believe me. I think are going to be apprehensive. Uh, so, well, yeah, they, what? Uh, I think they'll give it. I would imagine the, the, the Paul Hartley would have watched one match against uh, Kelty Hearts and. Well, they'll certainly not take us lightly. I don't think uh, they'll give us every respect. But with our strongest side, we'll play. Uh, so well, that's great. That's great. Uh, but we've, we've got to really uh, hopefully start well in the game. I, I think that's really important. If you can start well in the front foot, that, that makes a big difference. Uh, and hopefully get the first goal. Uh, that, that, would be really, that would be really nice. How important is the Senior Cup to junior teams in terms of, obviously, if you do well, there's a financial reward there, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but in terms of just the general prestige, how important is it to junior clubs to do well in the Senior Cup? I do think that as important as the press. Look, we've got a name of two TV games in the last two seasons, uh, live TV games. That's an amazing thing for us. We're, we're at look. Where it started with that, we love being involved in the competition and uh, having live TV games. You never thought that would happen at Beechwood Park, but there you go, it happened last year with Air United thing, and there we, we were up at Kelty and it was live again. So, look, and we've performed well in those days, which is really important. Uh, and some of, the, some of the boys have done this on a real turn there, I think. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think the stock's rising. I think especially not only Tommy as a manager stock rising, but the players as well. You know, every time they've showed up on TV, they've showed up well. Um, and you know, you find sometimes that teams can be going well, and then they play on TV games, and all of a sudden disappear for whatever reason. But you know, Talbot have stood up to that, and and they've taken that uh, mantle on. That you know, they've stood up to TV cameras, and they've performed very well. You know, can great individual performances, but also great team performance. And um, you know, they, they deserve the, the, their shot at, at these big clubs. Dules, let me ask you a question: As an Auchinleck boy, how much of the fabric of Auchinleck is Talbot? Huge. It's you know, it's the core of the of the town. I'm sure Tommy he knows that he's been there so long. Everybody, you know, Talbot have a great support, and, and people maybe don't understand that. But you know, Talbot will get bigger supports than in a lot of senior teams because the people are loyal to them. Um, and you know they're hard-working people who are willing to come and spend money at the local club, um, which I think they should be, you know, commended for because that doesn't happen at a lot of places. You know, we see a lot of people jump the bus and go to Parkhead or, or go to Ibrooks. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in Auchinleck support Auchinleck. They'll buy merchandise. They'll, everybody's got strips. You know, they've got tops. They've got training tops. It, it's just great the way that the club is, but it really is the heartbeat of the of the town. And um, like I say, my parents are still there. Um, I grew up there, so and and I know exactly the way the people think. And Auchinleck Talbot to to an Auchinleck fan is the Celtic and Rangers of of Ayrshire. Tucker, I'll tell you one thing: you've got a couple of rough diamonds as fans. I've got to say, I'm thinking of that Charlie Richmond character. I mean, what do you think about there? <laughs> 
Charlie was involved in the youth set-up and all that. I'm not sure whether he actually started it. Charlie was well involved in the, at the club at one stage. Uh, I've actually no noticed him at the games there recently. I don't know where. I, I would imagine he'll be there somewhere. Don't be kidding. I'll imagine. Well, he, like, listen, he never, uh, he never shuts up about Talbot. It's Talbot this and Talbot uh, that well, and Talbot the next but, thing. Uh, good, good, good stuff to him. Listen, Tommy, always good to talk to you, pal. Thanks for being on with us and, and giving us time. Good luck for the weekend. Uh, I've got to watch what I say because we, Gordon Young, will be in with me on Monday. Uh, so it, it, it could be a double-edged sword for me, but I wish you well, as I always do, and always appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Thank you. Cheers. No Thanks worries. Cheers. There we are. Tommy Sloan uh, talking to us tonight about that match at the weekend against uh, Cove Rangers. If you were Cove, you wouldn't be relishing it, would you? Really? No, no, not at all. I mean, I've played in these kind of games, you know, where you're the you're the the, the big team, and it's never easy. You know, you you, you expect to to build those these teams. I came from junior football. I know how tough junior teams can be. Dules, so. how difficult is it to go to a ground though, like Talbot's ground? It's very difficult. You know, I was there for for just over a season. Sometimes. Talbot have the game won before the game started. You know, yeah, they're, they're in the tunnel and the, the passion that comes out of players and, and fans, the, the, they're literally two feet from the pitch. It, it, you, could, you could slice the atmosphere with a knife and I just think, you know, you could look at the other team and think, you yous won't win today. You know, we, we're basically one up already. And I think Talbot have had that for years and now you're starting to see that not only in the, the Junior Scottish Cup where they always win the, the Junior Scottish Cup, now even senior teams are coming and it's very, very difficult to walk away from Auckland like many points. How, where does Tucker kind of figure, if you will, in the general kind of history of, of Auckland like Talbot? I mean, I would, I think he's probably one of the, if not the, the most successful manager the club's ever had. Um, I think he's been outstanding for them. Um, but it, you know, even just as a person, you know, he, he's he's a great guy to have around. What do you think's made fun. him so successful at Auckland Lake? I, I think a number of things. He's, he's a very good man manager. You know, as much as we have a laugh, he's, he's got a serious side to him. But he's a very good man manager. He doesn't just treat everyone with the same. He, he understands that you know he has to manage people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know he's good. At, he can put his arm around some people. He can give some people some people a dressing down if he has to. But, you know, I think that's what, what makes him a, a good manager. And um, you know, I think you've seen it. It's not just been a one-off with him. He's done it year after year after year. And, um, you know, I'm sure he'll continue to do it for, for years to come. Uh, and what about Auchinleck and the other junior teams now as we see the SPFL kind of as the aim with the Lowland League and the Highland League? And we're talking now about the possibility of the the junior game actually disappearing in Scotland, potentially. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think we still need those different levels, or do you think that teams like Auchinleck, in real terms, have outgrown junior football and would be better suited? I know Auchinleck and other teams are reluctant to look at the, the Lowland League, but are they being tested properly? Yeah, that's what I was going to say about being... They're probably reluctant because right now they're big fish in a, in a small pond and, and, you know, dominate Scottish junior football. So sometimes, it, you know, if, I suppose if you ask people around Auckland Lake, they'll enjoy that. Everybody wants a successful team. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the the town is littered by cups and trophies and they win everything. So to take that away from them and make that step, would they be as successful? 
who knows, you know, but it's a, it's a bit of the, the step into the unknown for them. And I think Milwaukee and Lake have worked hard over the years to get to where they've got to. They deserve a chance at it. Whether they, you know, want that that tag of stepping up into the Lowland League and maybe not winning as many games as um, as they do, or do they, they want to continue to dominate Scottish football, which they've done since the early 80s? Um, you know, I, I think, knowing the Auckland Lake people, I think they'll enjoy dominating junior football. But you, know, but you would expect a team like Auckland Lake, who are so well-supported and so well-run, to be able to be one of the big hitters in the Lowland League in terms of finances and things like that. You know, I'm, sure they, I'm sure they would. It's just whether they, they, they want to, because... Like I said, they, they would they would stop winning so many games. Oh, well, possibly not, but you know it becomes a lot more difficult to, to dominate. Then um, the crowds. Then do, do you lose some of your crowd? Mm. Potentially not, because it all can like like I said, they're so passionate. You know, you walk around the town, everybody's got an all can like Talbot top on. It's it's just a it's an amazing thing to see. Um, but I, I do think that the club and the people enjoy being the the dominating force of junior football. I think if you lose Auckland Lake Talbot, you lose a bit of, of, if not a big chunk of, of junior football in the country. You must you must get a lot of, for want of a better word, adulation when you're a player like yourself who makes the grade and comes from the town. Uh, you know, they, they must be quite proud of their football and tradition in Auckland Lake. And, and whether you've played for Talbot or not, if you're an Auckland Lake boy, they, they must kind of really kind of hold you in high esteem. Yeah, and they're great, you know, and it's and I think that's where, you know, as as football players who are as a football player from that town, you should carry yourself in a, in a way that, you know, my mum and dad are still there. I still go back. I, I try and get to an Auckland Lake Talbot game if I can, whenever I've got the chance. I try and go back and meet people simply because, you know, you don't get to where you've got to by doing it yourself. Yeah. There's been people across your, your life um, who have always had an impact on, on me as, as a person and as a football player. So, you know, I try and go back and, and like I say, just spend time there because I think that's important. We were just talking about Morelos earlier. Yeah. But I don't have the same expectancy as, as Morelos and these kind of guys, but... I think it's important you don't forget your roots because yeah. um, football's quickly it will quickly bring you down. Um, whereas on the way up, you're depending on other people, and it's all these hardworking people that, that pull you to where you are. Mm. No, absolutely. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll finish things off on talking football for this Thursday night. Thursdays at eight pm. F1 Rally Formula E touring cars and MotoGP the motorsport season is well and truly underway and Rock Sport Radio is already spinning wheels and burning rubber Andy Alston and Adam Todd are on the starting grid every Thursday from 8pm to bring you news and comments on pole position a petrol heads dream try a lap or two with the guys pole position on Rock Sport Radio do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello. 
Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank or financial advisor, even if you no longer have the investment or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett could help. Discover how much you could be owed. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, that's pretty much it from Chris Dillon and myself. Uh, Be back tomorrow with uh, Hugh Burns and Paul Hegarty. Just going back to the start of the the restart of the season, Dills. Any games particularly that you've got your eye on that you think could be crucial for just this weekend? This weekend, I think Rangers at Hearts could be a a big game Um, again, just because of the the tension that seems to be building. But also, you know, Hibs, <laughs> Hibs at Hamilton. Uh, mm. Like I said, I don't think that'd be an easy game. Hamilton have a, a tendency just to pop up and whip the points away for teams. <laughs> and uh, you know, the way Hibs, Hibs seem to be going just now, it, it could be a treacherous time to go there. And of course, at the time, if you get beat with Hamilton, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean Chipper's got them well drilled and they've got good players. But if you get beat by Hamilton and you're in the position that Hibs are in. That's heaping lots of grief on yeah. you as a manager, isn't yeah, it? It's making it ten times worse, hasn't mm-hmm. it? Simply because, and no disrespect, but they should expect to to beat Hamilton, and the fans will, Hibs fans will demand that that they beat Hamilton. But you know, it's it's no as easy as that. No, that plastic pitch will have a say as well. But um, Chipper's got the team, you know, doing really well. And um, like I said at the start of the show, he's, he's a great coach and manager. Um, so I'm not really surprised, to be honest. Yeah, no, you're right. Listen, thanks for being in with us tonight. We'll see you next week, same time. That's it for us, as I say. Pole positions coming up. Andy Alston and Adam Todd will guide you through the world of motor racing, F1 and beyond. And uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Hugh Burns and Paul Hegarty will join me. We will look ahead properly to those weekend fixtures and do what we normally do, make predictions that never, ever come true or even come close, to be honest with you. Thanks for your company tonight, and we'll be back tomorrow. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio.